Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. A number of things I want to bring up in this episode, but I assure you they certainly all connect. I want to talk a little bit about what goes on at the local level and how, unfortunately, a lot of the things, as even you've heard me say on this podcast and my own, I, don't, I wouldn't even call them an investigation, it's just a... Uh, a fact-finding mission to some extent, I guess, although that could be an investigation. But me asking local individuals who are quote-unquote in power or have influence and what they think about what is going on and, and, and their stance on particular things. And then I want to talk a little bit about some of the conversations that take place with countless other people and how as well-intended as many of them are, that there is certainly a, I would call it, I guess, a lack of focus on the overall influence that global powers have over local issues. And what we've seen, of course, over the last few years here is rampant voter fraud, even dating back again to 2016. And, and voter fraud existed even back then. But it's certainly something that's prevalent now and more prevalent within the eyes of many Americans. So there's a, there's a number of things to bring up here, but let me go back first to um, <clears throat> a, a sort of a larger question that a lot of people have asked and then answered. And it's, it's not really a question I don't think that I've ever tackled before. Or, or publicly mentioned, but it's it's worth bringing up. It's the big question that that people will receive when when they'll say, "Okay, what was your waking up moment?" Or when was the moment that you started to see things a little more clearly as to how both locally and nationally, and then globally, how things operate. For some people, it's a singular event, and it would be for many. Uh, people's waking up process is on a spectrum. So there's no way that it's the same for everybody, let alone the same event or series of events. I would say that for me, well, given any powers of reflection that I may have now, I, I can certainly now, only through the grace of God, can I go backwards in time and, and look at particular moments and say to myself, oh, okay, that's why I didn't like that thing. Or that's why I was uncomfortable in that particular scenario. So for me personally, I remember back when I was uh, four, five, six years old, when I would encounter school environments they made me upset. My first day of school as a kindergarten student, I sobbed my eyes out. There were not other students crying. Um, I was. And that was happening for a couple of reasons. Number one, I came from a strong nuclear family. And I knew that my mother was a homemaker and a former teacher. And my dad was a college professor in teacher education. So part of me, again, was wrestling with, well, what is this about? Why, why am I coming to this building to be separated from the family that I care about? So I didn't make the connection like, I have to go here. This is where I'm going to learn things, whatever else. 
And again, I'm not blaming my parents about any of this. That's, that's not what this is. I remember walking into the environment of an elementary school, the, the one where I attended, and it was the most unnatural thing that I recall experiencing at that age. Just very unnatural. Standing in lines and eating when you're told to eat. And uh, even though we did that at home, of course, there was breakfast, lunch, dinner, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember my elementary school teacher picking me up and putting me in her lap. And I'm crying because I'm uncomfortable. It's not anger. It wasn't an anger cry. Uh, it was, it was, this is an uncomfortable place. This is remarkably uncomfortable. Why am I here? Kind of thing. And she just kept saying to me, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And it was just getting used to that uncomfortable environment that was very odd. But that feeling, even though I didn't like sob my way through school, um, I remember again having a very similar reaction in first grade because again the summers for me as a child were amazing. I'm again strong nuclear family. My parents were incredible, educated people. We did lots of different things. They would even have us do homework over the summer for God's sakes, which you know <laughs> a lot of people would hate that, and we didn't like it either because we were kids. But we had the freedom to do lots of stuff. And, uh, you know, this is, keep in mind, this is the 80s. Uh, th this is back in the day when you could ride your bike without being surveilled by your overprotective parents. I mean, we would ride our bikes all day long and then come home for lunch and then out we'd go again and then ride our bikes in cornfields and get lost and then come back for dinner. Uh, you know, th that, was a, that was a regular thing. Those times don't exist anymore. But when you would go from that kind of an environment of freedom to a restrictive environment like a school, it was really training us for what we're all seeing and what we've all lived through, which is just this giant machine. So I remember in first grade having the same emotional reaction, but it was just on the first day. And I remember sort of catching myself a little bit and saying, okay, this is just going to be a regular thing. And then second grade rolled around, and I didn't cry or anything, but I didn't want to be there. I, I had reached the point where I, I knew that this was not the right place. And I had the same feeling, as lots of people do on the first day of school, um, of just being upset that they are there and that they don't want to be there. So for me, my waking up process had to do surrounding the field of education and then my experiences throughout not just those first days but the things that I witnessed the things I heard um all of it throughout my entire time throughout elementary middle school high school and I again I remember and I've told this story before but I remember sitting in a high school classroom and simply saying, looking at the teacher and sort of pointing at them as their back was turned and saying, that person is an idiot and no one likes them. If they're an adult and they can get paid to work here, I'll never have a problem finding a teaching job. Because if I'm a nice guy, which I am and was, and if I'm knowledgeable in my subject and I protect my students, then fr from the actual school environment itself, because I knew that the school environment was the enemy, 
not the students per se, it was the other adults and the predatory nature that existed and again, the walls and all of that stuff. I knew that that was the enemy. So I thought to myself, again, I'm not going to have a problem finding a job here because I can do it better than this person can. And I can do it probably better than most of the people in this building. I'll never be an administrator. I made that declaration very early. Again, when I was in high school and I had decided that I was going to be a teacher. And I never really shared that either. I never shared with friends or, or family or what have you that I was going to be a school teacher. I knew that by the time my high school career was over, and I graduated early on purpose so that I could get out of there as fast as humanly possible, but I knew that when I enrolled in college and at the university level that I was going to be an education major. So my waking up process, long story short, was not a singular event per se. It was a series of events over the course of time. And then, of course, the whole whistleblowing experience that I had as an actual educator. And all of the things that I saw when I was an educator and all of those other things, I mean, that, that, uh, that alone told me how deep the corruption goes, both at the local level and at the global level. Because what I was seeing was, is I was seeing a particular kind of person, administrators and teachers, not question anything. They would just blindly go along with stuff. And then I started to ask myself, this has to be coming from someplace. This information and these constant new uh, propaganda and uh, corporate ideologies, so to speak, have got to be coming from somewhere. And I thought to myself, the people in this school district where I was working aren't smart enough to come up with them themselves. So this has to be coming from the outside. It has to be coming from the state level. And then I thought to myself, well, who controls the state? The national level, the national government. And then I thought, is it possible that there are other entities that control national government and local affairs? And the answer is yes. Again, the United Nations does. They influence countless people. They buy off politicians. They buy off local, local politicians, mayors. Even in small towns, uh, sheriffs, you name it, school board members, et cetera, et cetera. The, the line is deep, and the influence that they have runs everywhere. It's remarkably insidious. So that was sort of my process. And, it, it, and when it came to voter fraud, I'm, I'm reaching back here, but some of you will know this name. The individual who, who opened my eyes to serious corruption, murder, and voter fraud regarding those three subjects was a guy by the name of Larry Nichols. And I don't know if Larry Nichols is still alive or not, but Larry Nichols was tied with the Clintons. And he would be sort of their bag man or one of their uh, hit men, so to speak. I'm not, you know... I, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but he probably might say that. In fact, he probably has said that. Either way, Larry Nichols was on the Alex Jones show and on InfoWars a long time ago. And he was a consistent guest. And I was not an InfoWars watcher. I, I didn't pay a lot, of ten, a lot of attention to it, but I certainly did leading up to the 2016 presidential election because I loved listening to Larry Nichols. He was talking about some serious stuff, and he was one of the first guys who would consistently bring up voter fraud. 
You'd never hear voter fraud anywhere else. And I thought to myself, this guy sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about. And one of the things that he would consistently bring up, and again, I remember it like it was yesterday, and I miss listening to him, but he would consistently bring up that both Democrats and Republicans steal elections. And they break the law to steal the elections, but they own the judges and the sheriffs and these individuals so that if a lot of voter fraud takes place, and I mean a lot of it, then they're not likely to get caught. And of course, who are they going to blame? They're going to blame the small time person at the bottom who maybe unplugged a server or uh, you know, scratched in a ballot or whatever they did illegally, but they're not going to blame the person who, who, who controls them at the top. They'll never go after those people, that those people are insulated and protected. And then ultimately, he said the following. He said, if Democrats or Republicans know, in particular Democrats, that they can't win an election, they'll just take it. They'll just steal it. And I thought, that makes perfect sense. That makes absolute perfect sense. You can just gaslight people into believing that the person that they voted for lost when in fact that person won, but you just tell them they lost. Or again, you switch out servers or you unplug things or you run ballots or you do whatever it is that you do. And that was again back in like 2015. I thought, yeah, there you go. That's, that's it. Not to mention the video footage that even existed back in the day of, of that voter fraud that would take place. On top of that, there was the prevailing theory, and I tend to believe this, that throughout 2015-2016, when you started to see a lot of Trump signs in people's yards, countless people, they would even call into Rush Limbaugh, and they would say, Rush, look, we're driving across three states. Uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then down into West Virginia. Um, all we're seeing are Trump signs in people's yards. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And so there was this theory that the Democrats were going to, again, just steal it. Because if you think back and you recall, every media outlet, of course, had Hillary winning. 99% chance of winning, 90% chance, 95% chance of winning. And then, of course, that didn't happen. And it was arguably one of the largest meltdowns that ever occurred. The meltdown from the average citizen was them being the victim of gaslighting and not knowing it. The meltdown from the actual Democrats was their voter fraud got caught and was overridden. So there was a theory that white hats infiltrated the voting systems and overrode those voting systems to make sure that we, in fact, won, that Donald Trump won. What I, the other prevailing theory, which is connected, was that the voter fraud was a massive attempt at that time by Democrats and even by plenty of Republicans, because you recall all the Republicans that didn't want Donald Trump to win. But that the White Hats themselves who were watching this and some military individuals who were watching the voting taking place and, and the ballots and voting and the electronic voting machines and all of that, that they had the option to 
override those voting machines to favor Donald Trump, but that they, but but specifically that they didn't have to because the numbers for Donald Trump were so high. Because again, you recall countless individuals, of course, quietly voting for Donald Trump, who had always been Democrats. And I was, you know, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh very hard during those years, every single day, as a matter of fact. Because I loved listening to the callers too, along with Rush, but I loved listening to the callers and listening to what they would say about what was going on where they lived. It was very telling. Again, coming from a guy who at the same time was studying qualitative reasoning and analysis, it was a big deal. I'm saying to myself, this many people who are, who are open and honest calling into a radio show can't be lying because they're all saying very similar things. We're driving from this state to this state to this state. We're seeing all of this. We always take you know, this family vacation across four states, nothing but signs, and two of those states were blue states, so to speak. And I thought to myself, there is something huge happening here. And this is an excellent thing. And then, of course, 2018 rolls around. Well, actually, let me get back to this. The meltdown by the left, and in particular the politicians on the left, and even some on the right, proved that they knew that the fix was in so Hillary would win. It was evident in their face. I remember his damn Ben Rhodes, there we go, his name. I remember Ben Rhodes's meltdown outside of the convention building where where, you know, that that glass building where John Podesta the pedophile showed up and told everybody to just go home on election night and we'll, we'll tally all the votes and whatever. And somebody was interviewing uh, ben Rhodes, and he looked like a deer in headlights in total disbelief because he knew that the voter fraud was supposed to be rigged for Hillary to win, and it didn't happen. I mean, people were sobbing the next morning when Hillary was giving her uh, concession speech. All of these things are fresh in my mind because that's how deep the fraud goes. These are not people that like the Constitution. These are not people who operate as if the Constitution exists. These are criminals. On both sides, I might add, in particular today, it's beyond evident that there are more Republican criminals than anybody can possibly think. Even the ones that are sort of mild-mannered, they're still controlled too. And I want to bring and, and I'm, I'm saying all of that to lay this out too. Because again, you've heard me mention my own sort of inquiry as to how far local politicians will go, whether again they be sheriffs or prosecutors or whatever. The abuses that we've seen take place over the last two years are the likes of which we've never even seen before. And in the backs of all of our minds who are awake, and even the fronts of our minds of those who are awake, we, we were always saying to ourselves, why are they getting away with this? How are they getting away with this? These are people in elected positions who are openly breaking the law. Mask wearing and suffocating children is child abuse. That's a crime. It says so on the box. Do not wear for long periods of time. You know, you, you, you will damage your health and whatever else. I mean, that was all common sense, so we thought, because it's written in black and white. And then we saw school board members do this. We saw mayors and city council members do this. 
and there were even sheriffs that were arresting people and forcing mask wearing. Now, let me tell you where I live just briefly again. I live in Butler County, Ohio. Butler County's sheriff is Sheriff Richard Jones. When a colleague of mine and an acquaintance of mine who is a nurse, when the two of us approached uh, just a couple of months ago, approached a sheriff's deputy, we, we formally met with a sheriff's deputy and presented them information on these bio shots and the abuses of mask wearing and et cetera, et cetera. We asked him to investigate all of this. He was unjabbed. He was married. His daughter went to the same school system that is locally. All of them are not jabbed. That was a good thing. Even so, the look in his face was of sheer shock. He, he, he could not believe what we were saying, but he was nodding and glancing at the paperwork we were handing him. I mean, I had, I had stacks of papers all in chronological order of all of this proof of what's been going on. Not to mention the back and forth and the hypocrisy and the contradictions and, and all of that. I had it all laid out, as did my fellow acquaintance. I mean, this was, it, it was black and white. It was perfect. But getting someone who has not done that investigation themselves or knows what's going on to understand it is, as I've said and written about on my substack, is next to impossible, which is why this is all the perfect crime. Now, what they all did was pass the buck. And if, again, if you recall that episode, they passed the buck on to their supervisor at the sheriff's department. And then the supervisor passed the buck back to us for us to contact the county prosecutor because the sheriff isn't going to do anything about it if it's not going to be prosecuted in a court of law, which renders the position of a sheriff useless. I might add, same with the mask wearing. You see, the sheriff where I live, Richard Jones, openly stated that he's not going to be enforcing mask wearing, which means if a person walks into a business and doesn't want to wear a mask, the business can still throw them out for not wearing a mask. They can go crazy and lose their minds. We've seen those videos. We've even experienced it personally. But he would not prosecute the individuals for not wearing a mask. He would still kick them out. Because again, these are private businesses, and if the manager of the private business wants them gone, well, then the sheriff's department has to enforce that. But the sheriff's department themselves is not going to charge them with anything, unless, of course, they're being disorderly or whatever else. That, that, that also does not matter, because there were local municipalities, city councils, mayors, in particular where I live, that were attempting to, and probably did, fine people $100 for entering places without a mask. And they threatened all of the businesses with the exact same thing. If you don't wear a mask, you're going to be fined. They ultimately admitted this is next to impossible to enforce because there just aren't enough of us to enforce it. So it becomes, you know, it becomes next to impossible. So the city council members themselves wanted, at least some of them, wanted to turn themselves into a Gestapo of sorts, or certainly Bolsheviks, and go door to door 
and see if they themselves, as their own pseudo-law enforcement, couldn't catch people wearing masks or couldn't catch to see if they could catch business owners not enforcing their, their, their mask-wearing policies, so to speak. Because again, there were city ordinances that were asking people and telling people, you have to wear a mask and you can't be around sick people and you can't have more than so-and-so sick people in your house. This was a real thing where I live. Red County, Red State. With a sheriff who goes, I'm not going to enforce anything. That doesn't matter. Local police are enforcing all kinds of stuff and were. Again, I live where Miami University is. Notorious. I mean, it made national news for students being expelled and kicked out because they were sick and had their sick roommates in their same house with them. Well, haven't you paid it? I mean, they arrested the kid. Haven't you paid attention to the... uh, to the city ordinances that exist, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to find you. And then the parents sued, and they, and they sued the university. And I, you know, I, I don't know how it all wrapped up. Maybe the charges were dropped. I don't know, but th- that right there proves how psychological manipulation, gaslighting, and financial and political blackmail and control at the global level can run right through the national, state, county, and town local level, all the way from the top down. And then, of course, the people at the local level who are getting off on all of this power grab and any money kickback that they're getting are just sucking at the teat, so to speak, of the higher-ups because they love being lackeys to the globalist powers that be at the local level. They love it. They love it. They think that they're in the in crowd. They, I mean, it's the old middle school, high school, elementary school mentality. These were the kids who never sat at the popular table in school. And maybe they did. And they've always just been crazy. But now they, they think that that's a good thing. They think that sitting at the, at the popular kids' table in the cafeteria is a good thing. And now they're adults. So now they get to live that out as much as humanly possible. When in fact, of course, These are the most inadequate human beings on the face of the planet. They're demons. So I'm saying all of that and revisiting that to to bring myself to this discussion here. Um, Jesse James of the Dangerous Info podcast, who I greatly admire, and and I enjoy his podcast thoroughly, and he's been a guest on my show and I on his. I even reached out to him and I said, I'm going to discuss this. Is that all right? And he goes, absolutely. he had Chris Ann Hall on his podcast the other day, and I'm f- very familiar with Chris Ann Hall and her work, and I respect it immensely. She's a lawyer. She knows the Constitution, and, uh, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for that without a doubt. I want to go back in time to a previous um, interview that Chris Ann, Hall, Chris Ann Hall had. Before, long before she was on with, uh, with Jesse James on the Dangerous Info podcast, she, she's a regular guest on Quite Frankly with Frank. And there was an episode after the 2020 election where she was on, and it may have been the first time that she was on his show after the 2020 election. But I recall that as she was on, she was talking about what was going on nationally, and a lot of people were upset, clearly, 
emotions were running high. Those of us who knew that the election was stolen um, knew what had taken place. We knew that this was long planned out. We knew that this was happening. We also knew that this was something that we had to be shown in order to highlight voter fraud on a larger scale. It became evident to me in that particular episode, as it was, I think, a lot of people, that Chris Ann Hall does not understand the global control that exists over politics at the national and local level. And when she was talking, she was consistently relying on the Constitution. And she was saying, the Constitution says you have to do this, and the Constitution says that you have to do that. And state representatives cannot affirm in a, in a presidential election and vote to confirm that election without investigating every single allegation of voter fraud. Well, as we know, that didn't happen. You had Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, and a bunch of other people going from state house to state house to state house, presenting their evidence, and what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. It exposed election fraud for us and reaffirmed what we already knew, and it brought in countless other people and showed them what was going on. But I even recall when she was on on that particular episode, Chris Ann Hall was on, on quite frankly, she was reading the chat as she was talking with, with Frank. And then she started to react to the chat board, either on YouTube or whatever platform that she was reading. And she was starting to get angry because the people in the chat were angry at her. Because they're saying things like, do you not know what's going on? Are you out of touch? This is a, this is a criminal takeover and a global takeover of our election. People are being gaslit into believing that Joe Biden won. We knew he didn't. We knew that Democrats were just stealing it. We knew that that was the plan long, long ago. We knew that that was what was going on. It was evident that she didn't understand that because she was relying again on the Constitution to fix things. Well, the Constitution was written by excellent people who even knew that the Constitution works for all of us, which unfortunately now begs the question does the Constitution even exist? Because there are moments where it does exist, I think. There are selected, there are very specific opportunities or, or I would say corners of rooms where, where the Constitution exists. For example, there's this prevailing theory, and I tend to believe it, that Donald Trump signed the Insurrection Act before he left office. Well, that would mean that he was relying on the Constitution and a small group of people who also rely on the Constitution. But if there are more people, basic math here, if there are more people who, who don't apply the Constitution, then there are people who do apply the Constitution, then the, the, the vast majority of those people will always win. Their side will always win. And the side that believes in the Constitution, being the vast minority of people, they will always lose. So if two sides are operating under the guise of a document existing, but the people who are in charge who are the majority 
blow it off and act like it doesn't exist, ladies and gentlemen, they're always going to win. That's always going to be the case. So I think that the people around Donald Trump who are, who are guiding him, hopefully, are still relying on that constitution. At the very least, they're relying on a portion of it. Because again, look at everything that's going on now and, and what we're seeing. You've, you've got what seems like the White House completely closed. You've got chain link fences up every government building and around every government building. When has that ever happened? It's never happened before. So why now? What's different? Who's really in charge? Who, who's, who's, really, who's really calling the shots? We can theorize about that as the day is long, and it might not even be for us to know at this particular moment. But what, what I heard Chris Ann Hall say then on Jesse James's podcast was she claimed that, and Jesse asked her this, which was excellent. He said, he said you know, we've got the UN involved in, in politics, and we've got the WHO and um, the World Economic Forum. and." I mean, there's this global pandemic treater, treaty that they're, that they're hashing out that they've already laid the framework out for. And now all they have to do is vote on it and then decisions get made. And she said back to him, that, that, that doesn't exist, so to speak, that, that the UN doesn't have any control over the Constitution or over us in our country, that the World Economic Forum doesn't have any control over us and the Constitution, and the World Health Organization doesn't have any control over us and the Constitution. And then it kind of fell silent, and I thought to myself, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Look at what's happened over the last two years. That was all their call. That was all their decision, along with other groups who operate at the global level, like the Club of Rome. These people want us dead. They want us dead, and they're buying off politicians, and, and the business owners are all bought and sold, and they're doing what they're doing for, again, the purposes of population control. Chris Ann Hall referred to this as fear propaganda. Those were her exact words. She referred to it as just fear propaganda. It's just fear propaganda. No, it isn't. It's very real. The deaths of children as a result of being forced to wear a mask by a brainwashed person in their life is not fear propaganda. That is global psychological control over a legal guardian or parent over their child. And now they've convinced people to inject themselves and their children with a death shot that is killing copious amounts of people and will continue to do so over the course of years. That's not fear propaganda. That's real. That's a real thing. The UN and the, w, uh, and the World Economic Forum, of course the WHO does too, they have control over the education system. They control the Federal Department of Education, which means they control what? What goes on at the state level in many cases. That's why you have states that are divided more today than probably ever before. They control school boards. They fund these places. Look at all the CARES Act money. 
Where did that come from? Who, who pulled the trigger on those decisions for states and, lo- and, and local school boards and local towns and cities and universities and XYZ to get copious amounts of money? Who pulled that trigger? Who, who made that call? The UN, the World Economic Forum, the WHO, the Club of Rome, et cetera, et cetera. They're the ones that did it. So it's very difficult for me to ever swallow when, when someone says that those nefarious organizations, which are globalist entities and seek to destroy any sense of individuality or sovereignty that we have as Americans, actually says they don't have any control over us. In pretend land, they don't have any control over us, assuming the Constitution still exists. Not to mention, one, one, one other thing, too, was I've consistently heard the phrase sovereign immunity among, in particular, the local prosecutor that I talked with. And you, you may recall me bringing that up. He was double-jabbed, coughing his brains out at home, and he was the old coot who basically said, well, you know, it, uh, I guess the shots don't work. And I, I told him point blank, I said, so the shots don't work then, do they? No, no, I guess they don't. This is the guy that we're relying on to, to, to make legal decisions and go after the bad guys? I think not. Because they at the local level base all of their prosecutorial decision making on the basis of whether or not they can get 12 jurors to all say guilty in a court of law. But you can't now. That's out the window. The mask wearing, the jabs, the, the social and psychological takeover of what's going on in our country will never find its way into an average court of law. It has to be a military tribunal. And the people who are in charge of that cannot be bought or sold. They can't be blackmailed. These, are, these have to be the most morally upstanding individuals on the face of the planet. Because no one at the local level is doing anything. You'll occasionally hear an arrest from someone who was on camera who was filling drop boxes during the last election. They've, they've been prosecuted. They're now in jail for voter fraud. Congratulations. Now multiply that by thousands and thousands and thousands. And then we'll be getting somewhere. And then don't just scrape up the ants. You need to go for the queen bees. You need to go all the way up the top, all the way up the ladder. You have to go for those people. Arresting the peons down below, so to speak, that's not going to wake people up. That'll wake up that individual that, oh God, maybe I shouldn't have done this and whatever else. Hard to know. Criminals engage in criminal behavior after they get out of jail. So who's to say even they are going to change? But if you're not arresting and then executing for the laws that allegedly exist in the Constitution, such as treason, then the Constitution doesn't exist. So relying on a document under the guise of it existing, when it's evident that out here it doesn't, I think that's its own form of gaslighting right there by telling people the Constitution exists for all of us because it says so. Well, it does say so. But when was the last time you saw a law, uh, a law enforcement individual actually use the Constitution to do the right thing? 
I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It does. And I'm glad that it does. But it's not happening at the right levels where it should. And just like what Chris Ann Hall said, the prosecutor where I live said the exact same thing, that he's not going to take any of this to trial. And the only way to solve this is for us to run for office. To which my response is and will always be, on what voting machine? We have Dominion voting machines paid for by Mark Zuckerberg where I live. These are the voting machines I vote on. It says Dominion in the lower right-hand corner. I've gone down the Dominion rabbit hole before. I've talked with a Dominion guy who, who runs. I've listened to him. My dad called him. I recorded the call, and I listened to this guy talk about how Dominion is the best. He was their, he's their sales rep. He's the guy who runs the machines in the county. He called Mike Lindell a fraud said, don't believe the pillow guy. Don't believe everything you see on TV. He even told my dad, don't listen to your neighbors about voter fraud and don't listen to what your friends and family say about voter fraud. This was the county's Dominion voting machine guy was telling my dad as we were both smiling at each other and recording this as he was saying it, that we shouldn't let those closest to us gaslight us on voter fraud being a thing, on, on that being real. It's very real. And the Dominion guy's in on it. Or he's so stupid and blind that he's been gaslit by Dominion into believing that Dominion is doing the right thing. Or he's making a ton of money. Either way, even and um, I'll add this too regarding the voting. It's even been shown that the Dominion voting machines that count the paper ballots are filling in the ballots fraudulently, that that too is happening. So my answer to when anybody says run for office, control things at the local level, whenever I hear that, the next response for me is on what voting machine? They know who we are. They know where we stand politically on things and ethically and morally on things. We aren't the people they want around. Which means, what happens next? And then there was a comment she made on Jesse James's podcast where she said that the sheriff, the local sheriff, is our last line of personal protection. Or something to that effect. I'm not getting the exact words right, but it was something to that effect. To which I said out loud when I was listening to it, no, my trigger finger is my last line of protection. That's it. Our last line of protection is what goes on within our homes. As law-abiding citizens and my trigger finger. That, I, I, I'm not going to ever rely on a badge or a prosecutor, or a politician at a state office to protect me. I won't do it. I didn't wear a mask. I haven't taken the jabs. I mean, you get my wavelength here, I think. But if the World Economic Forum is laying out this paperwork, and they are, and I'm going to read from this PDF right now that is written by them and the World Health Organization, same two heads of the same snake, but th th this is where they want to take us. 
they're squeezing us as a society from so many different angles because they know that we own guns. And she even acknowledged that. She said, look, they're trying to come after your guns, but they can't because the Constitution says so. I would also add to that, and she may have said it, so credit to her for saying it, but they don't want to come after our guns because they know we have them, and if they step foot on our property, it's game over. They also know that some people will comply. That if they knock on their door and say, well, you haven't had your shots, and you haven't done this, and you haven't done that, that they will willfully just go with them. Well, I want to help you, and I, I don't want to cause trouble, and you know, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to be a problem for anybody. Those, those compliers won't make it either. They won't survive. Look what complying has done for the compliers thus far. They've psychologically convinced them to gag their own children, jab themselves in their own children. What makes anybody believe that those same compliers, and I know that some are waking up, but what makes them believe that they won't just go with them if the powers that be show up and knock on their door and want to take them for a little ride someplace? You see, it's, it's not fear propaganda. It's not. There might be fear propaganda that exists, but this is actually happening. And I'm gaslight proof. And you need to be gaslight proof. You, you, again, saying it's fear propaganda is gaslighting. You're gaslighting people away from what's actually happening. So, you know, that, that's, that's my take. Um, I want to play this quick audio. And this is from a member of the Club of Rome which was designed, I believe, in 1968, if I'm not mistaken. It's one of many clubs, quote-unquote, that exists that's filled with millionaires and billionaires, and they decide at the global level what's going to happen and what they want to do. Their number one goal is depopulation. That's it. And you're going to hear Dennis Meadows, who either was or is a member of the Club of Rome, describe that. And what he describes is what ha- is happening right now. He's describing the degradation of society and the whittling away of the human population by other means other than physical violence. Because they know you don't have to use physical violence to kill us off. They know that you can financially strangle a person to where they commit suicide. They know that you can raise gas prices to the point where a person won't leave their home and go to work and go to school anymore, which I've brought up on the podcast before. And students have mentioned that at the university level, that they don't even want to go to class anymore because it's too expensive to drive. And then they'll stop eating because it's too expensive to eat. But are we just supposed to rely on our sheriff to do something about this? Even Jesse James on his podcast said, I live in Michigan. It's terrible here. You know, we, we, we can't go to our state houses and stomp on the state house floor on that Freemasonic floor of theirs and beg to the Freemasons to, to have them fix our problems. That's, that's not going to fix anything. You're never going to see me begging for Governor Mike DeWine to fix a problem. He is the problem. And that's the problem. 
So here's Dennis Meadows from the Club of Rome describing their approach for depopulation. They don't have to hit us over the head with a mallet. They've got a thousand other ways that they can get rid of people. So here's him in three, two, one. So far, Gobwe are so far above the population and the consumption levels, which can be supported by this planet, that I know in one way or another it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a a, a civil way, I, 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 and I mean civil in a in a special way. I, peaceful peace. Doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy, but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. Um, that we can, I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people maybe 2 billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have 8 or 9 billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, But if you had a smart dictatorship, and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, it. but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven. So we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and they don't have a few rich, you know, trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know. They believe in depopulation. They believe in the lie that God's earth will not sustain a large number of people. They believe that because they don't believe in God. These are Satanists by their own admission. I'm not going to go to my sheriff to ask him to understand what I've just explained. I'm not going to go to my sheriff to ask him to enforce or protect me against somebody like Dennis Meadows here. I'm not going to do that. And I'm also not going to rely on a sheriff or a county prosecutor, in particular a prosecutor who doesn't want to prosecute anybody because he knows that he can get paid without having to prosecute anybody, who's double-jabbed, I might add, and definitely won't understand the, the plan in place here. I'm not relying on these people to protect me against local politicians like school board members and city council members and mayors and what have you. Mass noncompliance is the only way forward. Self-governance continues to be the way forward. And then making sure to not spend your money on useless shit so that you can save it and use it to survive. Going to a baseball game is not, is not survival. Let me give you another example. Garth Brooks 
the country music mason, and he is a Freemason. Garth Brooks, by the way, that's a funny story. Remember the fake inauguration with Joe Biden when Garth Brooks quite literally ran down the stairs of the Capitol building there on that little platform, sang Amazing Grace, took his mask off, sang Amazing Grace, put his mask back on, and ran back up the stairs? I mean, he was on a full-on sprint up and down those stairs, almost like somebody had a gun to his head. Almost like he didn't want to be there. That was pretty weird, wasn't it? Remember that? Go back on YouTube and look that up if that still exists. I remember thinking, watching that and going, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought to myself, this is crazy. This is crazy. I mean, yeah, I knew he was a Mason, but he doesn't want to be there. Garth Brooks just played here in Cincinnati the other night to a next to zero people. He played at Paul Brown Stadium. The place was had maybe, oh, I don't know. Uh, if you go from the first row of seats in that football stadium and you go up about five rows, that was all he packed. He packed about five rows up sort of in a semicircle from the pictures that I saw anyway. I don't know the exact number of people that were there, but I saw the review in the Cincinnati Inquirer, and it basically said he played to next to no one. People aren't spending their money on bread and circus anymore. Some people are. Lots of people aren't. And it's great because they're, they're pooling their money and they're saying, we don't need that. We do need this. You know, let's, let's fix our home. Let's fix our castle. Let's protect ourselves. Let's get some clean water. Let's get some guns. Let's get some ammunition. Let's get some storable food. And then we'll maybe not do some of the other things that we maybe used to do. Go out to dinner or, uh, you know, go to a, pick up a baseball game every now and again, whatever it is. A, a lot of people aren't doing that. And it's a good thing. They're reorganizing their lives. And as I said on Gab, that's not an accident. I think that that's God's will. I think he's showing us, hey, look, you don't need all of this anymore. You need to rely on you, your trusted people around you, and that's it. But again, just to revisit this comment, it is not, it's not fear propaganda. It's reality. So let me read a little from this document. I'm going to link this document in the description below of this episode. This comes from the World Health Organization, the 75th World Health Assembly, Provisional Agenda Item 16.2. It's dated the 12th of April, 2022. It's titled Strengthening WHO Preparedness for and response to health emergencies. Proposal for amendments to the International Health Regulations 2005. This was probably when they gave away our sovereignty. Uh, it says, number one, the Director General has the honor to submit the Health Assembly for its consideration in accordance with paragraph one of Article 55 of the International Health Regulations 2005. The proposal for amendments to the regulations received from the United States of America pursuant to the said provisions 
and then it says C Annex. Number two, in accordance with paragraph two of Article 55 of the International Health Regulations 2005, the Director General communicated the text of the proposal for amendments to all state parties, states' parties, all states' parties, to the regulation regulations on 20 of January 2022 via circular letter. Number three, pursuant to paragraph three of Article 55 of the International Health Regulations 2005, any amendments to the regulations adopted by the Health Assembly would come into force for all states' parties on the same terms and subject to the same rights and obligations as provided for in Article 22 of the Constitution of WHO and Articles 59 to 64 of the International Health Regulations 2005. And then it goes on and on and on. Proposed amendments. And then it continues. This is a 13-page document. It says on the very next page, it says the permanent mission of the United States of America to the United Nations Office and other international organizations in Geneva presents its compliments to the World Health Organization and refers to the International Health Regulations, IHR 2005. In accordance with Article 55.1 of the IHR 2005, the United States of America is proposing amendments to the IHR 2005. The mission, by means of this note, and in accordance with Article 55.2 of the IHR 2005, respectfully request the Director General of the WHO to communicate the text of the attached proposed IHR amendments to all states' parties at least four months before the 75th World Health Assembly. We are also transmitting via this note a letter to WHO Director General Tedros Adnan, won't get his last name, from the Assistant Secretary for Global Affairs of the United States Department of Health and Human Services, Lois Pace, reiterating the critical importance of strengthening the IHR 2005, along with other efforts to strengthen the ability of the WHO and member states to prevent, detect, and respond to future public health emergencies of international concern. This is not good. Again, it's a 13-page document. The United States openly in their letter is saying, we are defaulting to you to tell us what you want to do and we will abide. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm the dude and the dude does not abide. It's not happening. Not, Not with me personally. They can squeeze local government. They can squeeze the local sheriffs, prosecutors. They can fake another one of these bad boys as the day is long. I'm not buying it. I'm not complying. I suggest you do the same, or else you will reap the fate that many will reap and already have. Look at the military. This will be my last comment. Look at what's happening with the military. I had an excellent guest on a number of months ago, describing a lot of what's going on in the military. He laid it out perfectly. JT laid it out perfectly. He said, they're coming for us in the military. He's right. I just read a recent article that laid it all out. It said again, they're kicking people out who aren't taking the shots, and now there's a deadline. 
There's a deadline that apparently exists that is saying if you aren't jabbed, you're out. No benefits, no nothing. You're being discharged. I don't, I don't recall if it's honorably or dishonorably, but you're discharged. It's game over for you. You can't get into the military if you're not jabbed. They don't want you in if you're already in if you're not jabbed. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, the global powers that be have no control over our military. They have no control over the Constitution. They have no control over us. I don't buy that. I just don't buy that. They do have control over us. They have for a long time, and you heard it again, in part, by the Club of Rome member, or former member, that there's a lot of ways that they can get that done. If depopulation is their agenda, there's a lot of ways that they can do it. And demoralization, of course, is one of the first steps. You can demoralize people to the point where you won't have to actually kill them with your own hand. They'll do it themselves. They'll take their own lives themselves. We, we, we have read and witnessed countless minors who have already done this over the last two years end their own lives because they simply lost their job because they didn't want to wear a mask or they forced the mask and they, and they couldn't work and then they took their own life or they forced the jabs on them and they didn't want to take them so they took their own life. That's happened too. Think of the jab spectrum that I've brought up on a constant basis. It's more notches in that spectrum. So we have to continue to not comply. Don't go along with it. Pool your resources. Do what you need to do to live a different life. Hopefully a more holistic and, and purpose-driven life on staying alive. I think... I think that's the way going forward. I understand that may sound easier. It may be easier said than done, but that's my approach here. What I've said, ladies and gentlemen, is not fear propaganda. Calling such things fear propaganda is gaslighting. What I've just described is reality. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.